Welcome to The Whole Marketer, where we look at the holistic skills, the technical skills, soft skills, leadership skills, and personal understanding that marketers of today need to grow the brands and businesses of tomorrow. We're here to ensure that marketers feel supported and empowered to have successful and fulfilling careers and lives as a whole. Hello, and welcome to The Whole Marketer podcast. Today's episode is a technical skill. It's strategic thinking, and shortly I'll welcome today's guest and a big fan of the Whole Marketer podcast, Fabronia Rocco. As I'm sure you already know, defining the long-term strategy of an organization or business or brand, in my opinion, is the single most important thing that we do as marketers. It allows us to take ownership of that long-term commercial agenda of the organizations and truly stand in our power as marketers to provide the clarity to the wider organization and our teams as to where we want to take the brand or business in our care also clearly outlines the strategic choices that we have made to deliver this growth and the vision, but how we're also going to bring that to life by through divining the right tactics and measuring the success as we go, as well as the ultimate finish line in that time period for those goals. But to develop a long-term strategy, we need data and insight. We want to build long-term strategy that has the customer and the consumer insight at the heart. Strategic insights form the basis of our strategic thinking. They provide us with understanding of the market and our situational analysis context. The trends that we can leverage, the opportunity and threats in the marketplace, allows us to make those strategic choices about which markets we play in, which segments, those consumer needs that we can meet, and how well we are placed to deliver against those to accurately define our brand positioning. In today's episode, we'll discuss the strategic insights required in order to develop our long-term strategic plans. Today's guest, Feb, is a strategic insight director who has championed the insight agenda for FMCG and OTC brands like Diageo, Heineken, Heinz, and GSK, and now is a university mentor and executive coach, having trained at Henley Business School and is in the process of setting up her own global practice. Feb, welcome to the Whole Marketer podcast. Good morning, and it's so terrific to be here, Abby. Thank you so much for inviting me. You know I'm a big super fan of the Whole Marketer, so I was so excited to be asked onto the podcast. My absolute pleasure. So, As a super fan, you know that we always start with a big juicy question. And today's big juicy question is, what is strategic insight to you? And that is a big juicy question. And it's a very good question. Strategic insight to me means being able to add consumer insight and knowledge to the business that really drives the commercial agenda forwards. It really means putting the consumer or the shopper, whichever way you want to define the consumer, into the hearts and minds of the leaders in the business. We need to be their voice and bring them into all of the different elements of the strategic marketing mix. And that means putting them at the heart of long-term planning as well as shorter-term activation. I couldn't agree more. I'm glad you gave that definition because for me, one of my top bugbears is when insight is miscorrectly used, when actually people are talking about data, what they've seen, not necessarily insight, which has been mined to extract that consumer, customer or human behaviour, as I call it, the human behaviour that we can utilise across the whole organisation. Absolutely. And I think strategic insight involves looking holistically across a number of data points, data facts, and coming up with the deep rooted issues. What is actually going on here? What do we need to change? What do we need to do to to affect that consumer attitudinal behavioral change and get them to bond with our brands and products? So it's really giving clarity to those key 
key consumer questions that drive the strategic goal setting. That's how I tend to think about it. I mean, I'm sure other people may have a different view, but it's that ability to cut through all of that noise, simplify and say, look, guys, with all of this knowledge, all of this data, all of this info we have, what is it in effect we're trying to achieve here? What are we trying to accomplish? So tell us more about those data points. For those listening, you just mentioned those data points. Where do you start? So you've got those questions that you have that aren't answered and you're about to go into long-term strategic planning. Where do you start? What data points do you go to? Well, first of all, I try and understand the marketing leader that I'm supporting. What is their agenda? What is their thinking? What is their vision? And really getting to grips with the detail there because that may then be challenged the more familiar I get with the data set so that we can really form the partnership to work together. Then I look at the market data as a starting point to really understand what's happening in the market. How is the brand portfolio operating versus the competitors? What are any macroeconomic trends that we need to be aware of that affect purchasing power? And start pulling together a story. Then there's the whole ad hoc data sets that we look at. So, for example, future opportunities, segmentation, UNAs. So start to really understand what is the consumer currently doing? What's driving that behavior? What are their fundamental needs? How are they being met? And where are their opportunities for us to deliver against unmet needs or to outperform the competitors? So that's kind of roughly how I approach um, looking at the three-year plan. So then once I have a kind of framework of understanding understanding, I'll go back to the marketing leaders and say, look, I know this is what we're trying to do, but have we considered A, B and C? Because this is what the data is telling us. So there may be deeper rooted understanding of consumer behaviour that could be challenging where they're planning to head in their strategic planning. And how do you work with those marketing leaders so that you are working in collaboration? That is the challenge because when we're working at fast pace and today there's a lot of agile in the way we work, it's really key to take the time to build those partnerships and I think to really understand where they're coming from. And given that there isn't enough time in the day, we can't make assumptions. You know, We need to understand what's driving their behavior. So try and understand the stress and pressure they're under. And what I try and do is bring as much value and ease to the dynamic, you know, do some of the heavy lifting for them so that they can concentrate on their marketing work that they're doing. So I I really try and take the heavy lifting out of all the consumer work for them. One thing I see, and I don't know if you see the same, Feb, is that situation analysis, that first step of having consolidated a lot of those initial data sources that you've just mentioned. So analyzing the market, look at the portfolio, the competitive context, the customer, mm. understanding not only where we are now in our macro micro climate, but also where we may be in the next three to five years or however long they're writing their strategic plan for. Yeah. I see too often marketers just kind of focusing on the here and now. I see too often SWOT summaries, if you will, written around the current thing that's happened. So let's just say recessionary trends or AI, but not really thinking about the so what that would mean to the business, not only now, but in the future and trying to predict. Mm. Yeah. And that's challenging because we do get bogged down in the here and now. We have to deliver the activation to meet the yearly numbers, as you know. So part of the challenge is to be able to prioritize accordingly and say, okay, from an insight perspective, what do we need to do here in the yearly activation? What are the key jobs that need to be done? And then really focus on the future planning. And I think foresight is quite tricky because we don't know what the future is going to bring. We don't know what immediate macroeconomic 
variables could be thrown into the mix. And that's why it's good to have some scenario planning, some ideas mm. of if this happens, what can we do? If that happens, what could we do? And I think getting too bogged down and focused in the now and AI and all this great tech is potentially a distraction because we need to really focus on how we're going to continue to grow the business given all the other challenges that exist. And yeah, AI can help us harness and speed up and be more agile, but it's not the answer to all the insight questions. No, agreed. And a great book called Uncharted by a lady called Margaret Heffernan. She talks about actually data will only allow us to predict accurately 256 days in the future. But to really Mm. think about trends and the prediction really takes a human to make that analysis and prediction and scenario planning, as you said, to allow us to really think to the future. I think as well, if we look at COVID and how a lot of our behaviours have changed, you can see how a significant event can impact consumer behaviour and psychology. So, you know, there's great learning that we can take from COVID, how it's quickly moved everything to hybrid, how people are doing more online shopping, how in the economic crisis as well, value has taken on a different different meaning. So although we're you know, focusing on the here and now, there's lots there that we can take into the future as well. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And as I often say, you know, the majority of the opportunities about how we can grow will sit in that micro environment. Absolutely, absolutely. But I think one of the challenges the Insight teams have is that they're spread thinly across so many resource points. And I heard a brilliant podcast by Zappi with Oksana Sobel from Clorox, where she talked about how she dedicated resource to specific priorities. And I think this is a really key point that we need to be focused. We need to back the big bets and that's where we're to put more energy and work into because trying to do everything with the little resource we have it's near to impossible so having that clarity of commercial focus and getting that endorsed and backed by your stakeholders gives you the leeway to really focus on the areas that matter agree and for me that clarity comes from yes as you just said understanding where the organization is going as a whole corporate goals, vision, mission, and therefore how marketing is here to deliver that by making strategic choices. Absolutely. And I'd add to that, that the insight function could also have a vision of how they're going to support that and underpin that. It depends very much on how insight is structured within organisations. Sometimes it's at parity with marketing, sometimes it's a support within marketing. So bearing in mind whatever structure you're in, having a vision that underpins the overall corporate mission and goals, I think is quite key. And also for those that also don't have the benefit of an insight function or an insight partner to work Mm. with and actually are writing strategies for their businesses without this support and are actually doing this data to insight themselves. I think that's a very valid point. And I remember we discussed it in our emails when we were talking about the podcast. I think there, there needs to be a clever use of the insight resources around. So the agencies that we buy data from and thinking about how we can externally harness the power of those teams and suppliers that are working with us as well to help the marketeers. Because for a marketeer to do all of their marketing job, plus all the insight on top, it's it's a lot. It is a lot but also situations that a lot of marketers find themselves in and, you know, having to write strategies, almost Mm. gathering around like harvest, whatever they can pull in. And whether that's a secondary data source or a market Mintel report or some insight from their own platforms, you know, almost trying to build pictures with minimal resource. Yeah, and I think there's an added danger there as well, because a marketeer has a vision, has their own goals. And I would question how objective 
are they going to be when looking at the data, when looking at consumer feedback that potentially isn't as positive as they'd like it to be? Whereas working with Strategic Insight Partner, they can help deliver that clarity and make recommendations in an objective way and do it constructively so that it's supporting the growth of the marketing work and not seen as a conflict or direct negative challenge. I agree. And knowing your own biases is really important. You know, I've seen too often, and I was using the example in a train course I was giving this week of watching an ex-marketing colleague who had a clear favourite advertising concept that we were going into research with. And every verbatim spoken about in that focus group, they were Mm. like, yeah, see, you know, they were almost using it to add to their own narrative, their own biases about what their favourite was without being able to remain subjective and Mm. really listen to all of the feedback that was being given to better the communications, better the advertising. So we're all human at the end of the day, but it's also being mindful of those biases. And as you said, having others involved in the process and not just marketers and insight, also the wider business allows you to remain subjective and really make sure that you're getting all the viewpoints and all the data you can into this process. Yeah, that objectivity is fundamental. And it's natural that a marketer is going to have a preference for one of their favourite storyboards or pieces of innovation. But that's where we need to tread carefully. And that's where having a holistic view of data and understanding what has been tested before, what has gone well, what hasn't gone well, being on top of case studies from across the business. So if you're working in a global business, there could be markets that have done similar work in the past and had results that could be of interest. So having your eye on all of these different resources is key as an insider because you can use that to create your own narrative and just challenge that subjective view of the marketeer where they need to maybe inject a bit more objectivity. So in that situation where we've got subjectivity, we've got a variety of options, you know, as you just mentioned, your segmentation studies, your usage and attitude studies, being able to review all of those choices available to them about how they can grow. So markets, geographies, segments, categories, needs dates, customer groups, target audience, you know, how they therefore then position themselves. What's your approach to identifying those opportunities available for growth? So basically, I think it comes down to what is the key consumer question? What is it that we're trying to achieve? What is the behavioral change that we're trying to get in order to drive the commercial agenda forward? So that could be if we're in an FMCG consumption category, we're trying to get consumers to consume a little bit more of our product. How much more would they need to consume for us to be able to drive the commercial goals forward? So having clarity on what the strategy is really helps how we then look at the data sets and what lens we study them via. So there, for instance, it would be really key to understand current repertoires, current consumption patterns, current brands that they're affiliated to, shopping behaviours, missions, need state, what are the needs that are being met on the different occasions that they consume the product and so on and so forth. So getting that whole tapestry of rich consumer understanding helps you understand whether the strategy is on track or whether there needs to be some modification to the strategic goal. I love the point that you made there about strategic review and reviewing the choices that have been made to make sure they're still on track is a really valid point because we don't always need to rip up the plan that's already there. It's sometimes as part of our strategic review to make sure the choices that we have already made continue to be the right ones. 
or it could be that we're setting too much focus on a particular area. So the marketeers may think, oh, this is something where we need new comms or where we need innovation to drive market share. In effect, it might be a brand positioning piece. So it just helped further nurture the strategic goal with more clarity and precision. And also it's an opportunity to, again, challenge any subjectivity that maybe clouded the strategic judgment. And for the record, my personal opinion is that brand positioning should only be developed once we have that clarity. I had a call a couple of years ago that went something like this. Abby, we're just in the process of doing our brand positioning. And when we finish, we'd really like to do a strategic review with you and your team. And it was like, oh, my God. It's like, no, we need to do it. We need to make the strategic choices first because positioning is one of your choices. You're defining a brand, you know, to meet your target audience needs within that market. I'll get off my soapbox for a minute. But that is one thing that's a personal bugbear. And it is ideal. In an ideal world, if you can have that clarity first, you can then springboard all the other mixed platforms. However, the reality and the pressures of most businesses is that these work streams are working in parallel. And that's where the insight knowledge can really feed into those parallel platforms and work streams and help keep everybody kind of on track because you have a helicopter vision of all the data sets. So you can really add tremendous value to those work streams and the pace at which everybody's working. And pace and parallel are two really good words in the sense that if you ever speak to anyone who's in strat planning, they are delivering in-year whilst trying to think for the next three to five years at the same time. So all help is welcome. And as you say, as the Insight partner, being able to take that helicopter view of both what's been delivered in-year, how that's performing, but also looking up to where we're going next. And I'd like to add as well that I think because we've got so much data now, because we've got all the new tech, pace and speed at which all this information is generated, it's very, very fast. And we really need to take care of ourselves because you can't be all things to all people and do everything at the same time. So having real clarity of what your priorities are, where you need to focus, where you can add more value or the quick wins versus the longer term wins, just being clear on how you use your time is fundamental to help prevent us getting burnout because burnout is quite easy to get in the insight industry. And burnout is rife because when we are doing things like delivering in-year and looking to the long term, but also in light of the increased accountability and responsibility of marketers' roles, it's great that we're being seen as the change makers, the catalysts to leading the long-term commercial agenda. But with that becomes added responsibility, added pressures, added stress. And many of us have run from one fire to another fire or one problem to another problem without much time to recoup, without being able to debrief, reflect and really process some of the things that have happened. And that's just at work. You know, we forget that we're bringing the whole person to work and we're all dealing with things, whether that's children, parents, health, relationships, I don't know, throw it all into the mix. A time of sustained stress is what leads to burnout. And whether that's personal, professional or combination of the two, we need to be really mindful of that. And they're absolutely fantastic points. And I couldn't agree more. And I think as well that if we're in that scenario where we're investing heavily in insight projects, big UNA segmentation, they can cost anything between 60 and 150,000 pounds, depending on where you're doing them. So if we're running from one work stream to the next without having time to reflect, without having time to amalgamate the results, we're not mitigating risk and we're not leveraging the return on investment. So we're not working in a commercially effective way. So I think as well as protecting your own health and sanity, you need to take a step back 
back sometimes in order to do a good commercial job. And I think we have to have the confidence to say sometimes, look, slow down. We need to just interpret this data set or that data set and see if there's anything we need to add or leverage and be really crystal clear that it's fundamental sometimes to mitigating the risk. Agreed. So we've talked about analysing the market. We've talked about identifying opportunities. We've talked about strategic choices and in particular segmentation and U&A. Where else can strategic insight help in that strat planning process? I think, and maybe taking some learning from work I'm doing at the moment, I think there's also a need to stay creative and open. You know, that creativity and inspiration is is fundamental as well to bringing it into the work we do in different markets and different work streams. So taking the time to read books, to listen to podcasts, to stimulate our own creativity, I think is not only important for our own self-development, but also to keep us fresh and keep us aware of new trends, new thinking, new elements that we can bring into our daily work. And what are some of those new trends that you're personally interested in? I think at the moment, and I know it's a little bit of a cliche because everybody's interested in it, but I'm very interested in AI and how it's going to evolve and emerge in our industry because obviously there are benefits. It can harness and jump across a large number of data and summarise key points, which would save us a lot of time. And I think it's going to be interesting because it frees us up to do the job that we're really meant to do, which is putting the consumer at the heart of the business and the different business functions. And that takes time to front face the different departments It takes time to build relationships, connections, build influence. So I'm quite excited about where AI will take us. I think as well, I'm interested by the research developments where we have methodologies that turn around data very quickly. So for some innovation testing, we can now get results in 48 hours, whereas previously you'd have to wait two to three weeks. This again is very exciting and adds to our ability to work at pace. Very interested in health and wellness trends, uh, not just from an individual individual personal perspective, but I do think we become better leaders, better at inspiring and engaging our teams when we are well rested, well looked after. And we also set a good example in terms of health and wellness to others. I think hybrid is interesting. At the moment as well, there's lots of debate about how hybrid we should be and how it's going to impact. But in the work I'm doing, I find the flexibility of working virtually across markets, again, is adding to the pace at which I can achieve the goals that I need to achieve. So for me, it's very exciting. I love all the online tech and ability to do that and to communicate with teams from different regions at the click of a button. It still amazes me that I can spend a day in Africa, the next day in India, just blows my mind. And also that technology to connect with our consumers and customers as well. I'm seeing a lot more virtual focus groups or in-depth interviews or video diaries being utilised because of the technology as well. And I think the ethnographic piece where we can actually go in home and follow consumers doing what they do in their natural space and lives is fantastic. Also, because when we used to do it as consumer closeness, it almost felt a little bit staged, still mm. to like they were on best behaviour. Whereas if they have a video camera just filming them as they go about their daily life, you get to see what they really do. So I think some of the tech and some of the methodologies actually adds more precision. I think so. It's not stated behaviour and it's not recall no. behaviour, it's actual behaviour in the moment. 
Exactly. And they haven't reordered the cabinets just before you arrived. <laughs> Look <laughs> tidy. You, you get to see the reality. And that's what we need to see. The real people, real lives, real issues and how they juggle all their challenges and family and work and so on and so forth. Agreed. And all of that helps us build a more accurate picture and get closer to our customers and our consumers. Absolutely. And how do you feel about the word human insight? I mean, I still use the word consumer. I guess it's years of being in that space. But I do kind of see the benefit of talking about human insight, making the consumer, the human more approachable for marketeers. What's your view on that? I started using the word human and you've probably heard me saying it over the last year because I think we get so caught up in marketing, whether that's a consumer, whether that's a customer, whether that's a shopper, and then a divide between D2C, B2C, B2B. Mm. And at the end of the day, we're all trying to identify the wants and needs of a human. And I think removing that terminology and just saying, who's your human? almost forces a different mindset and behaviours in the marketer to think, who is my human? Not who is my procurement manager or in the B2B or who is my CEO or CFO or who is my mum aged? You know, it's just like, who's your human that you need to connect to or multiple humans that you need to connect to? And I think by using the word human takes you to more of a psychological space and a space of appreciation that allows Mm. you to have a much deeper empathy or at least a space to think about them as a human. And I think that's where you get the richness around not just who they are, where they live, how they spend their week, but actually what their attitudes, values and beliefs are. And, you know, a quote I often say is, you know, you can only help others to the extent in which you know yourself. So start with knowing yourself as a human and the psychological drivers that make you who you are, because you'll have a greater appreciation for the human that you need to be interacting with and understanding. It definitely puts the sentient elements, the feelings, the emotions, it puts that back into the front of our thinking. And I think it's important. The challenge I find with the word human is how you integrate it in marketing speak and presentations, because it can be a little bit difficult to handle sometimes in how we word things. But I do definitely see the benefits of thinking about human insight rather than consumer shopper and so on. But we still need to be mindful of the demographic differences of the humans, especially for targeting, I think, especially in some developing markets where we have very marked differences in social grades. Definitely. But we also know that majority of our decision making is now made based on emotions. So I think there is more of a place for it, but you're right. It makes us realise that there's often more commonalities that unite us than differences that uh, distinguish between us. So it reinforces the fact that we all have a set of fundamental universal values and needs that need to be met. Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. So I'd love to hear your career highs and lows. Oh, career highs and lows. I think the career highs have been working with fantastic brands over the years, fantastic marketeers, being able to travel and work across multi-markets. It's been an absolute joy and a privilege, and I feel blessed to still be doing it all these years on. Career lows. I think when I was younger, the people pleaser in me would find it very hard to say no or to set a boundary for fear of offending or coming across as non-collaborative. I think as I've got older, I've realised that that's essential to work commercially effectively and have gained much more confidence in setting priorities and establishing boundaries where necessary. So I think if I was going to speak to my younger self, I would say, you know, you could have had a bit more confidence along those lines back then. But you don't know what you don't know, do you? At that point in time, we learn with experience. So the career highs, all the great marketeers and big brands that I've worked on and career lows, you know, those times where I've been heavily overworked 
worked, but it was partly due to my own fault. I also think there's a cultural piece there around your lows. I think, you know, also thinking back to my earlier years, there was an expectation and there wasn't maybe a human first approach mm. to the employees that is is changing. You know, it's changing as a result of the pandemic. It's a shame that we had to get have, have a pandemic for that to happen. But there is a lot more focus on the person behind the brand and business and how they are and how they're coping. Also, I think generational differences mm. and the boundaries and power that they set, you know, the amount of side conversations that I've had with people saying the next generation that are coming in really do set their boundaries around when they're working, when they're not, what they're working yeah. on, working on things that they're passionate about, etc. And therefore, it's forcing them to reflect going, I wish I was a bit more like that. Sometimes it's annoying because I needed them to do something and they're not willing to do it. But actually, I wish I was a bit more like that. And to your point, like that earlier in my career. That's really fabulous. But I also think that when we're younger, and I've heard many of your podcasts where you've hosted great guests where they've talked about leadership or leadership books that they've written. And I think you've touched on this before. We don't learn about leadership. You know, we go to college, we learn about marketing, we start training on the job. Nobody really helps us grow on the leadership side. It's almost assumed that it's automatic. And leadership skills are something that we cultivate over a long period of time. So I think with that understanding, with that extra reading, with that extra study and experience, that's how we form our leadership confidence. And also taking the time to find the type of leader that we want to be that's authentic to us. Because exactly. I see too many people arrive in senior leadership roles so they've managed or maybe they've had line management responsibilities but they're now in leadership roles feeling that they need to lead in a way that reflects the leaders before them or the leaders that they currently see around them and then there becomes this jar this jar mm. of authenticity that happens and that also can lead to burnout because you're not being your true authentic self and that's really tricky and the higher the marketeers go cmos and above it's very very difficult if you haven't got a clear stance in what your purpose is and what your clear definition of those leadership values are that you're trying to cultivate and then if they jar with the organizational culture it's another challenge couldn't agree more so feb thank you so much for your time so far on today's podcast thank you very much for having me it's been a dream come true thank you oh i'm here to make dreams come true but you can't go just yet because we have the final question which i'm sure you know what it is what one piece of advice would you give to marketers of tomorrow I would give them the advice of enjoy everything you do, but be focused in how you want to do your work, what you want to achieve and prioritise accordingly. That's a great piece of advice. Prioritise accordingly. And thank you again for your time. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning into the Whole Marketer podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do like, follow and share. The Whole Marketer is here to support and empower you and your teams with the latest technical skills, soft and leadership skills and behaviours and personal understanding for a successful, fulfilling marketing career and life as a whole. For support, resources and more information on how we can help you to become a Whole Marketer and build Whole Marketing teams, go to www.thewholemarketer.com.